Welcome to the Hyperfast Wealth Show. On this episode, we have an amazing guest who has closed over $2 billion, that's with a B, $2 billion in real estate. He has a new course out teaching people how to flip mobile homes and has a new fund for people that want to get into investing in mobile home parks. Welcome to the show, Jonathan Tuttle. Welcome to the Hyper Fast Show, where we believe unlimited growth in business and life is created by surrounding yourself with people who have been where you are going. Learning from others allows you to compress time and grow hyper fast. And now, here are your hosts, Kerry Shaw and Dan Lesniak. Kerry and Dan are real estate developers, best-selling authors, billion-dollar agents, and million-dollar agent makers. And now, get ready to grow hyper fast. All right. Welcome to the show today, Jonathan. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And where are you uh, calling in today from? Just so everyone Chicago. 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 All right. Well, welcome from Chicago. We're uh, glad to have you on the show. Before we jump in to what you're doing now, which I think is is really, really exciting, and it's one of the hottest areas probably in real estate investing, why don't you give folks out there who are listening, watching, a little bit of your background and how you got to where you are right now? Sure. So I was always an entrepreneur, even as a kid. I remember just even when I was like five or six-year-old, I would go door-to-door with my little red wagon and sell flowers to my yard to neighbors, <laughs> then take that money to buy toys at Toys R Us. Uh, and I was, I always worked as a kid. And then as I got into my twenties, I did retail at BB, the clothing store, and I'd be the number one seller in the country. But at the same time, my dad got his first mobile home park. Uh, we did together. So that what's really got me into that space because I was around 2006, seven. And then right after that, the, you know, the housing crash. And that was the only asset because my dad was a developer, a contractor. It was his only performing asset during that downturn that made us get us past that. Uh, so that's what really drew me into the whole space. Started brokering real estate around 2010, luxury, and then quickly flipped over to commercial, which I really like the uh, the moving parts of commercial real estate, and then quickly pivoted into just focusing on mobile home parks. Fast forward a couple of years, I started you know the fund. So we now we focus on acquisitions of parks through, with accredited investors, and also for non-accredited investors, we have a course teaching the everyday American how to flip mobile homes. So how? How does that work? Like a lot of people I think out there probably hear mobile homes and get scared or think of, I don't know, whatever stereotypes, <laughs> myths are out there. Right? Right. What, uh, you know, what's, what's it, what's it like? Like what's the, the typical mobile home deal look like as an investor? Yeah, it's a great question. There's, there's two uh, aspects to it. There's the investing into the park component and then there's also flipping the homes. And that's exactly what you said is like, it actually becomes a good thing because if it sounds kind of weird or if it sounds, you know, unique, it throws a lot of people off and it turns them off. So like that actually works to your advantage as an investor because you're not competing. It's more blue ocean when there's less people going after the same thing. Uh, this year has really proven that, you know, manufacturing mobile home parks, like you said in the beginning, uh, Green Street Data, which is like an independent third party for commercial real estate, the top performing real estate for this year by far was mobile home parks and a 12% increase in value and I mean, you saw obviously malls, hotels, a lot of the real estate asset classes have been getting crushed from COVID because, you know, the complications, you can't even be open in some states, as you know, as everyone knows. So the, the value to it is 
if you're flipping the mobile homes, it's the easiest and cheapest form to get started with. You don't need a lot of capital. Unlike a single family, well, you don't need to go get a, you know, you don't need a 720 credit or 700. You don't need to put down 20%. You didn't have to go to the bank to get a loan. You don't have to have, you know, if you're remodeling or flipping fix and flip, you're not tearing down walls and discovering there's mold and there's all these crazy things. It's not much you have to do because it's basically just like a box. With some so are you, are you talking about uh, flipping the, the, the individual unit, like one trailer? Yeah, there's two components. Not, 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 not the whole park, right? Just to clarify. So. Yeah, yeah. So we have like the fund, we we acquire the park and bring better operations. That's for accredited investors. That's what we our main focus is. But also at the same time, I had a lot of people asking me, you know, I don't, I'm not a millionaire because you have to have at least a million liquid to be a credit investor or make 200 plus a year. How can I get from, you know, 7,500 grand and I want to get involved with this real estate? Well, the best avenue is flipping trailers because, you know, a 70s, 80s trailer, you know, a couple grand, five, 10 grand is the easiest way to get started, learn the business and also make some money and also provide affordable housing to everyday American. There's 60 million Americans that need affordable housing and only about 12 million mobile homes out there. So, yeah, so how do you demand? How do you, how do you buy the actual trailer? Like, how do you even find them? Is there, is there like an MLS or a Craigslist or something? Or? Yeah, great question. Like, well, Craigslist is actually one of the better angles. Craigslist, also Facebook Marketplace is really untapped. And then the traditional, like if you're a real estate agent, the physical for sale by owner, just drive around local parks, get a list of all the parks, drive through. If you see a sign that says for sale by owner, you know those are going to be the great opportunities because it's probably some of it. Uh, that doesn't know how to market it and they don't know how to price it because like there's not a lot of data out there. There's not like, there is a few in the MLS, but it's most real estate brokers do not want to spend time, you know, marketing a $15,000 house and they can market a $300,000 house and make, you know, 15 times the money. So it's not worth it for them to gas time effort to make a couple points on a $15,000 house. And then also the person that owns the trailer for the mobile home they don't really want to have a, a real estate agent, you know, giving them the five or six points. It's a lot of money out of their percentage. They'd rather just get it bought and sold and get done with it and move on to the next place they're going to. So how, and, and you, you mentioned you don't have to get a loan or it's a lot easier. Like how do you, do, are people doing this with credit card or some other yeah. type of loan or how, how, how are you buying your, your $10,000, $15,000 trailer that you're going to Yeah, buy? you could use. Yeah, great question. You could use credit card, local credit unions in small towns. Credit unions are a local community bank. We'll usually land on them. And the thing is, they move really quick. Unlike a, like a traditional fix and flip, if you're flipping a mobile home, there's such, because there's such a demand for mobile affordable housing. And every time there's a recession or downturn, people move back. If they're making 10, 15 bucks an hour, it's the only option they really have. So you always have this huge demand. So when you list a uh, new mobile home or flipping a mobile home, it's three or four weeks. You're getting 30 requests, you know, to you know, see it. And two or three of those would be like ideal prospects. So you don't have that huge, you know, you're fixing and flipping a house. It's going to take, you know, two or three months, unless you have like your own crew and you have really systems of process, you're, you're in and out on that property in three or four weeks max. Are you, are you usually taking over a lease or, you know, if you buy it, is it, is it normally sitting in a park already where it's going to stay or are you moving them around or? Yeah, that would be the ideal. Yeah, because ideally, most of these mobile homeowners have these, you know, they developed in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, most of the majority of the parks, because they've, they've another advantage we own the park is those zoning stipulations don't really allow new parks. There's only been about 10 new parks developed in the last like 20 years based on most of the data, or there's some like hybrids where it's like an RV component or self-storage component, but it's not really a true fully mobile home park. The cities don't like them because they have the stigma 
also B, that's the lowest form of taxation. And usually the real estate, they could charge a lot more for other asset classes, which they could, you know, better tax basis for them. So they don't want that extra, the lower taxes for the city. But yeah, for the mobile home component, you typically, there's a couple of angles to it. So this is the kind of the gray area. It's basically like a car. It's a van, yet van and title. Uh, you're kind of like flipping cars and you don't really want to move them. I mean, there's different, you know, you could have different business models, but ideally, instead of hiring a transporter, license insured, finding another park, it costs seven, between five and $10,000, you know, to unhook it, do all that, get all the license insured, get the transporter, which is a big semi, and move it to another park and then find another park. It's a lot of extra, you know, headaches and work that's not really necessary, and especially when the asset's only worth, you know, if it's a 70s mobile home pre-HUD, it's only worth ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000, if that, maybe five. So you're spending more on the transport than the actual home is worth. The play is really, you know, for these park owners that, you know, that, like I said, alluded to, is 60s, 70s, they've been developed. They've been there for 40 years, some of these homes. Come in, put some new carpet in there, paint the walls, deck, new skirting, uh, make sure the roof is good. And just the average in these small towns where most of these are, second tertiary markets, it's just a quality affordable house. Like they rather pay $300 lot rent and save three or $400 insurance or not insurance, but in taxes compared to that house, it's $1,500 a month. It's usually one third of the price of a house. So it provides affordable housing. And then if you bring in all new carpet, you know, some new appliances, the interior, is, you know, as long as it's like, you know, 12, 14 feet wide, it's decent, it's, you know, decent size. It just provides that quality place of living. So you don't have to put a lot of money into it. It's not really complicated. Just fixing, you know, some minor cosmetics on the inside and that person's super happy. Like less is more basically in most markets. What What's the typical uh, rehab cost when, when you're fixing them up? Yeah, it depends on the year. Good question. It depends on the year. If it's a 70s, 80s, like 1976 is when HUD came out and had the pre-HUD homes, pre-1976. Anybody could develop and manufacture housing. Right now, there's about 100,000 mobile homes manufactured new per year. Uh, Clayton Homes, which is Warren Buffett's company, they produce about half of those, about 48 to 50,000 every year for like the last five years. But the pre-HUD homes, the biggest opportunities, the 70s, 80s, you could fix those homes. 80s actually from 85 on and newer. Their, their interior, everything is pretty, it's quality living. From like the 70s to like 85, you still have to, I'd probably say it's all case by case, just like any house, but it's probably three to $4,000 if you really want to like put a new carpet, uh, you know, new skirting outside. And if it's 80s on up, you could sometimes get away with like one or two grand, depending on the shape and how the person maintained it. So it just all depends on, you know, the condition of the unit. But the thing is, it's not many curveballs. Like the, the whole outside, for example, it's basically a box. You can't change the outside of the box. Like you can't say, oh, I want to put a huge new front door because if you do that, the structure of it, it's going to make the walls collapse. So you can't be like, oh, I want to have this new, you know, twice as big as windows. I want to add a, you know, an extra window on the outside. That'll actually make the whole thing collapse. So you don't want to do that. So you don't so, have those challenges. So what's your typical, you know, deal? Um, like, like, what are you buying them for? What, how much are you putting into them? And then, and then what do you... What are you selling them for in the end? And it all depends on the market. So like uh, like Florida, California, you have the senior parks in Florida, the 55 and up, those are really hot. California, where you have the, you know, the shortage of affordable housing. Uh, California, like they have parks out there, like the, the Malibu, uh, Paradise Cove, or Matthew McConaughey, some of the Hollywood live at, they have homes that go up between four and six million. 
which is crazy. And then you also have the Montauk, Montauk Village, I think it is, and um, uh, in Long Island. Uh, that one, I think those go for one or two million. That's where like they have like the billionaires living there. So there's all kinds of different parks, but the majority of the parks are just affordable housing. So if you have a 70s unit in the Midwest, you get them for, it all depends on your acquisition cost. So if you're doing Fizbo's and driving around, you're most likely get them for, you could flip the contract and say, hey, I'm going to come in just like a, like a real estate agent. I'm going to market it for you. I'll, I'll pre-qualify the people. You don't have to pay a broker. And then you basically get that arbitrage between the, you know, whatever you want to market up between. And those you get, you know, a typical deal, you want to make five to 10 grand in a, like a 70s unit. That's plausible. If you put money into re- rehabbing it, 10 grand's you know, more plausible. But if you're in California, you're in Arizona, Texas, and like the stronger markets where they have, you know, a shortage of housing, affordable housing, you're getting, you know, you can make 15, 20, 30,000 a flip or California, you can make 75 to hundred, just like a regular house because the mobile homes are going for 200, 300, 400,000, even besides those multi-million dollar ones. So it all depends on your market and what the affordable housing need is. And now, are, those, are those much nicer mobile homes, bigger or more expensive? Like why, why, you know, why 200 grand for a box? Um, you know, I get, I get the differences in land value between some of those areas, but is the, if we're just talking the box, like what's, what makes it go from 20 grand to 200? Just the real estate. Cause if your average house in uh, California and like a low income house is a million dollars and mobile homes not going to go for 5,000. It's kind of like, it goes based on real estate principles in that regard, because there's such, you know, a, a normal house to say in Illinois or, in most markets, Midwest, like an average house is two two fifty, but in California, that same house is a million dollars. So the mobile home and then two fifty, you know, where the houses are two fifty, the mobile home will go for like ten thousand. But that you get the same, you know, price gap when California because of the fact that the real estate's so much more expensive, they could charge more for. It's basically supply and dynamic economics. Gotcha. Well, it, I mean, it, it certainly seems like this is a huge opportunity, especially for people that maybe don't have a ton of resources to to throw at like bigger, more expensive ones. I mean, if you can get an asset for 10 to 15 grand and make 10 grand on it, that's, that's pretty good percentages yep. uh, overall. And, and you've got, a, I think you mentioned earlier, you've got a course to help people learn more about this, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, cause I have the fund is for credit investors. That's only about 12% of the market, which, you know, a credit investor, you have to be a million dollars in liquid, not including your house or 200,000 a year. And so I, I really want to help people because I have friends that wanted to get in the space. So I'm like, well, I can't teach everyone one by one. What's the easiest way to help provide this. And at the same time, it helps industry because if these older homes get torn down and they bring in new homes, it really defeats the fact because a new mobile home is 50, 80, hundred thousand dollars. So, which is still affordable for most of us, but not everyone, you know, the average American makes 33,000 a year. So that 15 or 20,000 mobile home is their lifeline. Like they would much rather pay for a recently remodeled $15,000 home and $80,000. It gives them that, you know, cushion to spend on food and everything else. So it really helps the affordable housing niche. It also helps, uh, one other thing that I mentioned is these park owners that have had it for 30, 40, 50 years, they don't really, you know, they're like baby boomers. They're 60, 70, 80 years old. They don't want to sit there and hire a team. Most of the small mom and pop owners, they don't want to sit there and actually do the work or manage that. You come in and say, hey, I'm going to come and help. I'm not taking out of the park. I'm going to beautify your park so it's going to make your other neighbors want to keep their units clean. I'm going to make it more appealing to other people. And best of all, 
for the park owner, they just want the rent. The rent is what makes the equity and the equity, an average home on a park is worth, depending on you know, your market, $30,000, $50,000, even if the home's worth 10000 So if you keep five new homes on there, that's $250,000 to his pocket, plus the monthly cash flow, three, four, five hundred, whatever it is per market. So he doesn't really care that you make five or 10 grand a flip. He loves the fact that you're keeping the unit in the park. He doesn't have to spend any CapEx. You're making the neighbors say, wow, this is how it should be here. I want to you know, fix mine now. And on top of that, you bring in a better quality tenant. And then at the end of the day, the person that comes in, now they get a brand new like remodeled house for 15, 20, 30, whatever it is the market entails. So it really solves all problems. And like the course is called Mobile Home Wealth Academy. And that's, it really goes step-by-step. Step. One thing I want to do differentiate from other competitors, a couple of the courses out there is literally, because I have the fund and I've been in the space 15 years and I'm really bringing on some of the biggest players that don't do interviews that are really hard to get a hold of. And I want to give like a really inside perspective, not just as like an investor side, but also teach them how to become owners of parks, because that's when you really make, you know, you get a small park and you're, you're making one or $2 million and, you know, net worth just acquiring the park. So we want to show them a path, not only solve affordable housing, but step-by-step step teaching them all the, you know, all the best avenues to get into the, the space, the easiest and fastest way possible. But also the bigger picture is, hey, eventually I can show them a couple of different ways how to get their first perk. And that's when you start getting the real, you know, the real big capital. And that's when you really build your net worth. Well, I, I do want to get into the, the fund and buying the entire park or, or how that sure. works as well. But how can people find that course if, if they want to get that course? Sure. So we have two funnels. Those aren't, I haven't put those out because the course doesn't launch. I don't know when this airs, but until mid-January. Uh, but it's called Mobile Home Wealth Academy. That's just the basic.com. That's just the basic login page. I'm actually make that a little more improved, but mobilehomewealthacademy.com. All right. So then go to mobile, mobilehomewealthacademy.com yep. and check that out. Hey, hold that thought for a minute. Are you a real estate agent in the DMV area or thinking about becoming a real estate agent in the DMV area? Why not join the highest selling team in the DMV. The Kerry Scholl team is hiring more agents. We have the best training systems, the best culture, and the best environment to get you to the next level, whether that's starting out and getting to six figures or getting from six figures to 250 or to half a million or even beyond. Go to kerryschollcareers.com. Again, that's kerryschollcareers.com. Now let's talk about uh, the strategy and, and what you do with, you know, buying the entire mobile home park. Sure. Yeah. So this is, this is, uh, this is exciting for both angles because they, in the course, they learn how to, you know, build a relationship with the owner. Sometimes they'll get seller finance where they'll actually hand them the part because the kids don't want it because they've been involved with it and they just want to, you know, take the money and run basically. <laughs> but uh, for the investor side, this is the most exciting aspect uh, real estate right now because Wall Street Journal did an article in uh, January, February of 2020, and it said this real mobile home parks have been the top performing real estate by far, or even one of the best, almost like a tech-like return for the last decade. And then also, if you look at the bank data for the last 50 years, it's been the top performing lowest failure rate from even bank data. Self-storage is a close second, but the thing with self-storage is you could build those. There's no there's no zoning. You could like, hey, I buy this land right here. I can, you know, convert this Kmart into self-storage. You don't have that mobile home parks. You get that uh, that moat, what Warren Buffett calls a moat around your business because you have this the supply and dynamic, supply and demand economics working to your favor. The beauty about the park industry is 
it comes down to the fact you can't develop them. You serve this huge need. You know, like I said, 60 million Americans need affordable housing and only about 12 million mobile homes. There's about 44,000 parks in the U.S. And so it just it just provides that. So like if you're if the park rent is $300 lot rent per month and your local house is $1,500 per month, plus way more expensive taxes for the same school, same fire, same everything else, or your local class C apartment, garden style apartment, well, it's half the price of that. Where else are these people going to go? Especially if they're making 10 bucks an hour, they could afford to live in that. Or our biggest demographic is baby boomers. So 10,000 baby boomers are retiring for the next 10 years every day. 70% approximately only have the social security and maybe 25 to 35,000 in their bank. Where are they going to live? They're not going to go to assisted living centers that cost $5,000 a month because they'll be homeless in six months. So where do they go? Mobile home parks. And our biggest competitor usually is like a class C apartment. But a classy apartment, like if you're 65 years old, do you really want to walk up three flights of stairs? Do you really want to hear your neighbor's TV? Do you really want to park your car a block away? And do you really want to like just basically have all these inconveniences and less amenities than your local mobile home park? And so they get the pride of ownership. They get the community aspect. They don't have neighbors. They can park, pull their car up right next to their door. They walk up three little steps and they have their own little house. And it's the pride of ownership and all those other benefits. Plus they're paying half the price rent. So there's clearly a constraint on supply yep. and, a, and an increase in demand. Can you walk us through your typical mobile home deal? Like how, how you find it, how you buy it and, and, and what the cash flows sure. look like? Yeah. So right now it's getting super competitive because we've seen this year it's been okay. For example, in the compression, Cap rate compression, we used to be known as 10 cap all across the board, which is really high for real estate. We're usually about two points higher, two basis point higher than uh, a multifamily, equivalent multifamily. But we've compressed in the last five years specifically. Uh, like 10 years ago, you couldn't get Fannie Freddie financing. Fannie and Freddie is obviously the best at most advantageous financing. Right now, we're getting lower terms, like high twos, low threes. Uh, the 10-year treasury right now is under one point. We still, most economics... And I'm an economist just saying that it's going to be still below one. So we don't see that changing foreseeably. But what that does is provides us with this cushion. So you have the three point, like a typical cap rate now is in the sixes uh, for fives and four fives in like coastal cities, which we don't go for those because they're just too compressed. But that goes, that's the Wall Street deals. But, you know, the Midwest stuff you're seeing, which is still a little bit higher cap rate than the coastals, you're seeing for a quality asset, six and a half, seven. And then the rates are low threes. So if you have a, you know, if your finance is a three and your cap rates a seven, you have three, three plus uh, split between there. That gives you cash and cash in the teens. So it's really attractive in that regard. Plus the ben- benefit of mobile home parks. Traditional commercial real estate depreciates at 39 years. Multifamily, which a lot of people love multifamily, it's 27.5 years. Mobile home parks, the land. Land improvements, most people don't know this, is 15-year depreciation. Plus, if the park owns any of the tenant home, the tenant home or owns any of the homes, it's uh, depreciated just like multifamily at 27.5. So you have the, the best tax depreciation schedules, not even including bonus depreciation. You have the higher cap rate, and you have the, this most stable real estate for the last 50 years and the top performing for the last decade. And then this year, you know, 2020, whenever this airs, but it was by far the best performing of all real estate. So what's happening is you're seeing all these new new investors coming in, multifamily guys coming in, 
and what's that's doing it's bringing down the cap rates but still overall it's you would you rather have something that's producing we're getting 94 percent collection rate institutional across the year multifamily and some national multifamily magazines during the middle of covid 72 to 78 percent so i'd rather have something like this yeah the cap is compressed but i'm still getting 94 percent collection rate i'm still getting a higher return and my property is going up and I'm getting better tax appreciation schedules. So you're hitting all the boxes while you know, helping people at the same time. So you're, you're hitting a six or greater cap rate if it's not in the Midwest and, the, and then like the coast, or if it's in the Midwest and then along the two coasts that those areas, they'll, they'll get lower, like in, around a four or four and a half. California. Yeah. So for example, there, uh, there's a Chicago group here that bought a park in Silicon Valley, one park for like, I think 238 million. <laughs> so one park, and I don't even think it was not even that many units. So I think it was like 300,000 a pad. So just to kind of give you an example, uh, Midwest, we like the Midwest because like everything else, it comes, it gets slower. Uh, we do like Texas, Florida's great, Tennessee. We like where everyone's moving at, the strong, like every, the markets where people moving at has strong economic drivers, uh, but it's not just cap rate, uh, it's not just the cap rate, you have the safety and security. So if we know that you have the best, like we have this great Fannie Freddie financing right now, we know we have this peace of mind on that we have 94% collection rate and you're hitting these cash and cash in the teens and you're getting the best tax depreciation and it's just, you know, mailbox money, basically. You don't have to worry about anything and it's been proven and the worse it gets, the better we do. So that's the beauty. How, much, uh, how much are you putting down on, the, on, on these typically? For Fannie and Freddie, they typically want, you could do that or you could do, uh, bank financing is about two cap, uh, two points higher, uh, but it's coming out to about 33 or 35% all in and they want reserves about a year now, year and a half, depending on, you know, it all changes based on what's going on with the economy, but about 33, 35%. If you get lucky enough, if you buy a non-institutional quality asset, like say you're buying a smaller park and you have to use traditional small town bank financing, you're probably getting rates in the fives. So your cap rates will be eight, nine. Like typically you see those cap rates probably eight, maybe nine if you're lucky, if you're really lucky. But that's that's kind of like the range you see. And then you are you are now like making this available to credit investors through your fund. Uh, let's just, just give people a quick overview of, of sure. how that works. Sure. So it's uh basically the fund, the advantage of the fund is you get multi, many investors investing into one asset. So like our minimum is $50,000. You could never get a mobile home park if you put $50,000. Like a minimum, even a small park, you'd have to put down two, 250,000. And additionally to that, you have to do all the work, you have to do all the management. So it just saves all that. So it's basically mailbox money for them. We, I've been in this space 15 years. Uh, you know, I was supposed to speak on the national stage with Dr. Ben Carson at the Manufactured Housing Institute one of the 12 speakers the other speaker was uh the ceo of clayton homes you know warren buffett's company the biggest home manufacturer so you get that credibility we know the industry i've you know i've been in the space 15 years like i alluded to and then we have an all-star team uh our fund administration software has 100 billion under management they do apollo groups i think apollo and i think blackstone i'm not for sure if they do blackstone but i think they do uh we also have a park cpa so we've literally built out the best of the best and all we do is we acquire, manage, and position for better exits while they get these nice returns. It's quarterly returns, plus the, you know, their K-1s, their tax benefits look a lot better. So we do all the heavy lifting for them, and all they do is collect a check, and that's Midwest Park Capital. And uh, 
how what's the the length of the fund term for for, for people if they invest sure. so yeah great question so we're doing eight to ten year hold and the reason we're doing that uh it helps for the you know equity multiple so the longer we hold it the better exit we get so you know because we're having the tenants pay down the mortgage and the mortgage the longer we pay you know hold on to the asset get to get a better exit because the properties we're going to better operational efficiencies ethically increased rents, which brings makes the park worth more instantly. And then over the time, we're paying down the notes, so we get that bigger spread. So we got a bigger exit multiple. Uh, in eight, 10 years, it's just, we want to build a nice portfolio and sell to a, you know institutional fund later on, like a, a Blackstone or you know Apollo Group. And they're huge in our space. That's another context I didn't mention. Wall Street's huge in our space now because Blackstone was, they bought the most single family homes in 2009, 10, when the last downturn happened, now they're buying billions of dollars in mobile home parks. They don't buy one or two small, like three or four or five million dollar parks because they're buying, you know, they have billions and billions of dollars to buy assets. They're not going to go for scale of economics. They're not going to go, hey, I want to buy this one park and for four million dollars. But for us, we could scoop all these four or five, ten million dollar assets, pull together a nice portfolio. And the next thing we know, we turn around and sell for 40 million or fund or, you know, as we acquire bulk, that becomes appealing to them. But that's our opportunities to scoop up the small deals. And Wall Street's huge in our space now, and I don't foresee that changing anytime soon, just because it's been the top performing real estate for so long. And what is your uh, target rate of return for, for investors in the fund? Yeah, uh, a pref rate, uh, target IRR in the 15s, uh, like I said, uh, alluded to is the tax depreciation schedule. So look at the most favorable tax schedules. Equity multiples predicted, you know, can't guarantee anything, but like probably two and a half over the course of fund, you know, as we pay down the mortgage and sell it. Uh, so you get always advantage of that. And the best part is the real value about this play is it's mailbox money. You don't have to do the work. You get a quarterly call. It's all fully transparent. You have an all-star team, fully seasoned. And this industry, which I forgot to mention last time, it's a lot harder to get into now because everyone else is trying to get into it. So it's industry-based relationships. So the people they know, just like in business, know, like, and trust. I've been in this space long enough, you know, all the trade shows. If you're first starting out, you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get access to the same deal flow from the brokers because they don't know you. They don't want somebody to put an offer on a property and they don't get the financing or like, oh, I backed out last minute. You'll never get <laughs> listings or any off-market deals. A lot of this trades off-market now based on your reputation. So it's just getting more and more harder to get in this space. And that's the beauty about us. We have those relationships. We have access to those deal flow. We're talking to people every day and we can provide that to the investors. So. All right. Well, it's exciting to, to see what you're doing in the space and, and that you're bringing education and awareness to people about how to get into it, you know, a multiple, multiple different ways. You know, doing smaller deals on their own or, partnering with you on the fund. So thank you for doing that. I know all of the listeners out there appreciate it. And, and uh, hopefully many of them will take action and uh, get the course or contact you about the fund. Before we wrap up, I always like to do the hyper fast round. If you're ready for some rapid fire questions and answers. Sure. All right. What's your biggest piece of advice to a new real estate investor? Uh, great question. So my biggest advice is listen to podcasts like this. Take on all the free education you have from trusted sources and absorb that. Like allocate 
a certain percentage every day because it becomes a habit. Just always have good content and good education coming into your brain every single day because that's going to give you a foundation. And then get mentors to actually implement it. And then, you know, take action. Take action. Start with a smaller. I always recommend get do something you could do boots in the ground, take on a smaller deal, get familiar with the process. Don't go too big. Yeah, you want to for scale economics and you want to get big deals, but because you know there's more money involved. But at the same time, you don't have the right foundation, you don't have the right education, you don't have the right mentors. It's much better to not lose on your first deal by just taking the right precautionary steps and learning the process and then move forward and you know take action daily and then move on to bigger and better deals. What's the biggest challenge you've ever had in business and how did you overcome it? Oh, that definitely was the last downturn. So I thought I was prepared for the last downturn. I first got it. That's when I first got into entrepreneurship. Like I left BB and that's when the, the whole, I went from 150 a year, which is basically like 200 a year nowadays to getting into right into real estate when it was impossible to sell deals. So going from like, you know, a healthy income, even though I saved a lot to see it, everything go to like a complete standstill while reinvesting into my business. But then I was fortunate enough that I spent all my time, allocated all my time into mentors, learning the park space inside and out, and then also learning digital, which has really positioned me well for this downturn. So I'm like, not to, like not in a bad way, but like the next recession or upcoming recession, which is really pretty intimate because we printed so much money, 21% of the money has been printed last year and all the dynamics of closing businesses for three to six months at a time, there's always going to be something that's going to happen later on. You know, there's always an action that's going to happen later later on. I'm really prepared for this one and I have, you know, the right vehicles to move forward. So I'm, I'm glad I learned early to be positioned for the next, you know, 2021 and 2022, you know, recession. What would we find you doing when you're not doing real estate? So I'm an advocate of just education. So I allocate at least three or four hours a day. Like people don't even believe, but I literally do. I wake up in the morning, you know, five, six 30. I just literally throw a podcast. I do a scribe the app for books. I did 115 books last year. And that just really gives you a competitive advantage. Like when you just have that knowledge, you could see, now I've been studying historical figures like Sam Walton, you know, Henry Ford, like all the guys from different generations, they've gone through different economic challenges. They've had different challenges and how they overcame it and how they solved those problems. And not just in the, just in the business side of it, but also like in your daily life, you can implement all these education that's out there and then put it into your life. It really makes a huge difference. So that, and then working out, I'm a huge advocate of working out. Because the beginning of the year, I was just working 90 to hundred hour weeks every week and I didn't take time for myself. So I started allocating about an hour and a half, six, five or six days a week towards working out and I lost like 35 pounds. So that was good. <laughs> awesome, well, congrats on that. Last question, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? 10 years from now, I probably will have different solutions. I'll have probably be on my closing out my third, you know, we want to do three funds in the next five years, but we'll be closing out at least one or two of them by that time. Uh, also, I'll definitely be in Miami for sure. And then maybe having second passports and be in position in other states, depending on what happens with, you know, the U.S. economy. I want to be able to be, you know, have banking, you know, in Singapore. I want to have different uh, locations where they, you know, they treat you best because as an entrepreneur, we're solving these problems, but now we're getting some of these, you know, these, some of these laws are coming on are really punishing us as, you know, entrepreneurs and reinvesting our business. So where can we go to, you know, get treated best and position your assets for asset protection and also where we could get really treated best as being an entrepreneur? Because like the U.S. has been, as we saw this year, where I, I feel bad for these restaurant tours, like they cannot 
New York right now. They have to eat outside in the middle of the winter. Like, if that's how they're going to treat this, I know COVID's a huge thing, but what are we going to do to solve these? These entrepreneurs are going to lose everything. So they've family, multi generations of business owners where they're losing everything. I don't want to be positioned where the U.S. government can, you know, close me down at any time whenever they feel like it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree. It's it's a problem when the government is picking who's essential, who's not, who yep. can work, who, and um, and who knows if it even makes a difference like I'm, I'm down in florida it's a lot more open than most states yep. and the numbers per capita aren't any worse than some of the states that have the most stringent lockdowns but yep. um, so i definitely think that is it's prudent for successful entrepreneurs or people that think their success will be expanding to to think of ways to protect yourself in the future from all sorts of scenarios and and this year for many has been a, a wake-up call for that certainly yeah 100 percent. and i just like chicago is a big colonized city it's it's a ghost town if you walk outside it's like sad like all the especially like the smaller one or two locations they're all shuttering like and like so your options are the chains and Chicago is not like we don't have like every black like Taco Bell and McDonald's, but like it's probably going to be come down to that to, re- to replace the old great chef driven restaurants, replace it with these corporate companies. You know, it's just it's just a sad situation. It's 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 bad, man. So that's why I want to make sure <laughs> that uh, being as you know, being a producer, being a problem solver, that we create you know, we're entrepreneurs, we create our own destiny. We're, who's going to treat us best and also positioning for future. And that's why I'm, I'm fortunate to be in the park space. It's the most resilient. And then also being digital, you know, that's where we're seeing such a rise in crypto. Like it's crazy to share like the, the, I think there's gonna be a pullback on it, but Wall Street's pouring money into crypto because they don't trust how much money has been printed by the U S government. So there's going to be, you know, they printed so much money. It sounds great. And people needed it, but at the end of the day, it's going to make the richer, richer and the poorer, poorer over the next you know, 20, 30 years where the value of money has been so depreciated due to the fact that we print so much money. You know, it's just, it's going to be a lot of, a lot of things are going to change in the next seven, 10 years. So I just recommend people making sure they understand the economics, where the direction is going and also positioning their assets and asset protection and the right vehicles that gives them that stability and security and peace of mind at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I would agree to, to, start thinking in terms of buying real assets and and real estates, one of the best ones to to counteract these inflationary pressures that that are certainly going on. And and I think, you know, if you're a entrepreneur, business owner out there, whatever space you're in, if you're, if your business is down, I I think a good, good way to counteract that would be to get that mobile home park, course and and see if this is something you can do is on you know as, as as a side hustle starting out maybe and then you know move up to the smaller parks or, or get involved with the fund you know you've certainly given people a lot of ways to to build wealth so it's exciting to see that and uh it'll, it'll be exciting to watch this journey and, and and hopefully you know you help a ton more people. So thank you for being on the show today and, and the insights, the value you provided. Before we sign off, uh, just remind people how to get to the course or how to contact you if they want to learn more about the fund or just connect with you on social media. Yeah. So the, the fund is midwestparkcapital.com. That's more like a general, under, 
gives like a basic premise of the industry and you can fill out a form there to get a, to view the PPM. But if you, if you're already credited and you're super interested and you want to see that private placement, which basically breaks down the company, the market, what we're doing for our business objections or uh, objectives, that's midwestparkcapitalfund.com. Uh, that's the two websites for the fund. And then not including the funnels, which is like, you know, the online sales pages, but the login page, which actually could, you know, fill out a form to get information as it comes out is uh, mobilehomewealthacademy.com, mobilehomewealthacademy.com. And then just Facebook is Jonathan Tuttle Official. And I think Instagram is Jonathan Tuttle. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show, Jonathan. For all the listeners out there or viewers on YouTube, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyper Fat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyper Fat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests and improve our shows. So give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.